Good morning. This is Angelo Gonzalez, and you're listening to Miss Radio Podcast. This morning we have with us Miss Lauren Diane Howerton, and we'll be discussing the way of social change and just how can we impact our society here in the United States during a pandemic, during a time where we can feel so distant, um, yet we feel as if we need to make a difference. So without further ado, I hope this helps. I hope you learned something, and thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Miss Lauren Howerton. Good morning, Angelo. Also known as Lauren Diane. I always thought your last name was Diane for some reason. Is that your middle it's name? A little, little tricky security feature. <laughs> it's my middle name. Hey, nice. Very good. <laughs> well, I, I can choose to edit or go however we want to in terms of uh, this beginning. Um, so, yeah, I, I just want to kind of... How are you doing? <laughs> First off. Pretty, pretty good. How are you? Not too shabby. Um, yeah, just drinking some water right now. Doing a little reading. Um, yeah. Mm. I was thinking, I don't know, if you, if you had a chance, were you able to take a look at some of those um, documents? Yeah, I looked through most of them. And it actually led me to Ezra Klein's article, Imagining the Nonviolent State, which is pretty awesome to read. Bellissimo. That is good. Perfect. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the funny thing. Like, it's just, um, oh, there goes my clock. Uh, <laughs> we have this clock. Jesus, this clock. <laughs> I hate this clock so much. <laughs> It just plays the song every hour at the hour. Oh, is it like um, what are those clocks called? A cuckoo, cuckoo clock. clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's definitely making me cuckoo. All right. <laughs> There's nothing I can do about the cuckoo part. Or maybe there is. I'm working on on my cuckoo ness. Aren't we all? Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I was just talking to a colleague of mine about like, he's working from home and. I don't think like he he just got this job, so he's like, man, it's hard to like learn. Like, there's no supervision. You know, he's picking mm. up a whole new, whole new craft. But as soon as this cuckoo clock ends, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was gonna uh, read a little excerpt. Um, cool. Be- before uh, we get started. Sounds good. To kind of. Um, it's about a page long, but um, I think it'll. I like it. We'll go into it. Okay. A one, a two, a skiddly do. And good morning, uh, good afternoon, and good night, depending on where you're at. Uh, this is Miss Radio. I am with Lauren Diane Howerton. Uh, I don't think I've ever said your full name, but uh, <laughs> would that be something if we like interacted? You know, like whenever I saw you, I was just like, Lauren, Diane, Howerton, what's going on? I feel like some, you know, royalty sort of names have that ring to it, so we can bring it back. I like it. 
Miss Lauren Diane Harrelson. Yes. Um, we're here to uh, discuss the way and theory of social action and how we can apply that in our lives daily and just become a little bit more aware of what's happening in our own country and our own community and how best to use our, our reflections um, into action. Um, and one thing I, I wanted to start off, uh, Ms. Ms. Howardson, she is um, an international environmental policy grad from Middlebury Institute in Monterey, California. And she is currently in Washington, D.C., uh, doing a lot of great work out there. And so, yeah, before we dive in, I wanted to dive a little deeper into some literature that I had come across. It's this book uh, called How Can I Help? And it's Stories and Reflections on Service. And it's by Ramdas and Paul Gorman. So, it's a little page long, but I think it'll serve as a nice, healthy reminder of uh, a way into social action. Here we go. The problem of social action raises a number of unique challenges in our own personal lives. We may work to remember who we truly are, to open our hearts and quiet our minds, and to see through the illusion of entrapping roles and forms. When that's really happening, we experience unity. Suffering is eased and all is nourished. For many of us, however, the instinct to help out finds expression in political initiative. So much of what seems based on opposition, not unity. It means encountering profound differences of belief, challenging institutions, struggling for power, and sometimes even risking casualties. How do we stay clear and conscience in the midst of all that? How do we maintain the integrity of spirit on the battlefield of social action? It's a tall order, and we're asked to enter into this volatile environment of division and separateness, but with as much consciousness of unity as possible. So King sets out for Selma, Gandhi begins the salt march, or any number of us join movements for peace and justice seeking to recruit others, experiencing divisions among ourselves, confronting opposing powers, wrestling with fear and anger, trying to keep a clear sense of our goals. There are plenty of places to get lost in the struggle, and we need all the clarity and inspiration we can get in order not to violate in our own behavior the very principles and ideals we're fighting for. We look around and we see injustice, oppression, the threat of war, war itself, and something inside grabs us. We've got to do something. It's time to act. But what is the spirit of that resolve? The initial state of mind we bring to any social action can go a long way to determining its character and consequences, especially if we're looking to move others to act. Boom, bam, boom, bam. <laughs> Pow. Very, very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So that, that was something, this whole book, um, I kind of stumbled upon. It was interesting because I was going through the thick of a lot of emotions um, late mid-May. You know, we're going through a pandemic and 
I'm driving cross country and uh, I stop in Arkansas and I'm staying in my buddy's house and um, I, it was actually the day, yeah, it was the same day. Yeah. May 25th, um, the same day George Floyd passed away. And uh, it was crazy because I was, I was going to leave on a Wednesday, but I left that Monday because the night before I was just feeling awful. Um, And so that Monday I decided to take off and it starts to rain on the road. And all of a sudden just, I go hydroplaning into the Ozarks at 70 miles per hour. And uh, I, you know, luckily came out alive, you know, (laughs) I'm still here. Uh, And I go back to my buddy's house and uh, he has a shelf full of books. And I pick this book up and I read like a couple pages. I'm like, huh, this is pretty good. And then somehow this book ends up in my messenger bag uh, when I make my way back to Texas. So I'm just like, okay, I guess I have to read this book now. And it's literally um, all about service and all about this one particular chapter that I read from. It's um, the way of social action. So, you know, for yourself, Lauren Diane, um, can I just call you Lauren? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So for you, Lauren, um, how, how does one practice that state of mind to serve others where where does that come from so i think i think so many miss students current past and present can identify with that feeling that it's really unique for everyone but at at the core of it it's the same it's something affects you in a way that you realize life is more about than something that just affects yourself like there's a greater world outside of you and that your actions, whether it's what you purchase, it's the kind of car you drive, it's, it's the kind of work that you choose to do affects people, not just in your community, but globally. And I don't know, that's a good question. Like how, how does that resonate with people? I think, I do think it's, it's unique. Um, and that's like something I've been kind of trying to, to struggle with, you know, I think a lot of people are like, how do you convince people to care about other people? Uh, and for myself, it was like this own perfect storm of, of just meeting different people, traveling to different places, traveling is a huge thing, getting outside of your own bubble of comfort and, and the things that you know, and realizing you don't know anything at all, and being open to learning more, wanting to learn more, having that curiosity. I mean, you can tell people this is happening in Yemen and this is happening in Syria and this is happening right here in Alabama and these things are happening and if if they don't want to leave the comfort of of their of their own comfort you know how do they even begin to to care on on a greater level um yeah I I don't know how you make people care it's unique from what I've seen it's Right. It it kind of brings us to this 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 point of awareness, right? Of not only ourselves but of this outer world, right, that we're we're all kind of experiencing. And whether or not you know, and and it I think even we can dive into race, but then even outside of race, um it's like a donut within a donut, right? Outside of race is our our class systems, right? And um where where are we on that ladder of 
comfort, right? Mm. And then um, I was having this conversation uh, with a good friend of mine. He's 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 quite conservative, um, and you know we're good friends, but we we disagree on so many things, uh, and yet um, he recognizes his his point of view. Uh, he and he told me this, and it was very striking. He was like, you know, I recognize that I come from this particular affluent class in society, and what my opinions are are going to reflect that, right? So, and that goes back to like the history of where someone comes from, and how does that? What is what is the origin story of someone? Um, is is how, how can we find for for you, the, the provocative question would be, how do we harmonize with those we, we are in disagreement with? Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's like a key tenet of the current protest now, even. It's people trying to, it, it, you know, comes on to the basic level of, if people are ignorant, w- woefully or you know, by just the chance of where they grew up or what they're exposed to, you have to educate them. You have to say, this is what's happening. And you hope, you know, like you hope that with that knowledge, they say, damn, maybe I can not contribute to this. Maybe I can help change this. Right, right. You kind of build build that tenet of awareness um, for that individual. Like I was just talking to my dad about this and... Um, for the first time, I think in his life, he's he's actually going to choose the vote this this term. Oh wow! Um, and he's like, yeah, I. It's pretty remarkable. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you voting on the right? Or are, you, or are you voting uh, <laughs> which party? <laughs> going for here? And he's like, oh man, um, I'll vote Democrat. You know, but it, and even that right has been become tremendously polarizing, right? Um, to the point in which, you know, having like constructive dialogue with those whose views we oppose, you know, it's, it's, it's becoming more incredibly difficult. Um, so, so what are the things that you've experienced, um, say in the past six months being in our nation's capital? Um, what, what are some of those dialogues that are people having that you see or not having? (laughs) You know, I'd say, um, D.C., I grew up in Northern Virginia, so mm. I've, I've kind of been around D.C. I've tried to avoid D.C. for a long time. <laughs> um, and I would say, like, in the Obama era, it attracted a lot of really smart, motivated young people. Um, but there's still this core of conservative um I'd say not progressive mentality. Um, and the, the conversation is, is tense, really. That shows in the, the protest that started at like the end of May, you know, all the way through to the tear gassing as Trump walked through to the church, like all the way up until, you know, like two weekends ago, last weekend, where, and, you know, apparently it's happening all the time. Cops are just destroying people's tents set up with food and supplies and water. Um, I, you know, 
the DC, the DC conversation, I think you have that group of really motivated, smart people saying the same things that I imagine you like you and I are you and I are going to talk about and people at miss care deeply about it's like we we see the systemic racism we see the inherent problems and we're willing to work through those changes and then there's a group of people that say absolutely not and this white supremacist anti-semitic this like truly American really scary rooted thing is also shouting just as loud, you know, and I I don't think that's really surprising. I think it's, it's just really loud right now. This has always been the polarization of our country. Um, and it's particularly tense right now because you're not, you're not arguing about, you know, like, should should our kids go to charter school here or whatever? You're arguing is does, does this person's life matter to you? Um, right. It's 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 this philosophy based on a contempt a contempt for life. You know, um, it's like this absurd dogma that you know race is responsible for the progress of of history, right, and the progress of our future. But it's it's in a total abandonment of, you know, our brothers and sisters, regardless of, you know, uh, their background or what they look like, you know. Um, and, and that's something I think that if we, we can't, if we can't see that, right. Um, and that's such a classic, I think, um, from a rights point of view, this, this, this point of view where like, oh, we've, and, and I was talking to my friend about this and I was getting all the classic arguments like, well, what else more do they want? You know? And like the left is trying to tear down, um, you know, our, our values and, you know, our, our Christian ways. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. and, and that's the thing, you know, so it comes from this point of like, um, like we know best, right? we know where we want to lead our country and it's more, you know, our country was founded on like Christian principles. And I'm like, well, you know, what about religious freedom? <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a catch 22 in, in a lot of points. And, uh, and the, the greatest thing that I always come back to when I'm talking to this individual or, uh, or anyone from my undergrad, cause it's uh, <laughs> Texas A&M, my God. Um <laughs> we're having troubles just like taking down a statue, you know, um, uh, of a Confederate. Um, oh, I think he was more than a soldier. I think he was a commander, but you know, um, and that's a conversation into itself. But you know, when I talk to him, I'm like, okay, well, how can I get you to look outside of yourself, <laughs> you know, and, and be compassionate towards others. Right. Because um, that's at the end of the day, that's that's what we're we're trying to move the the yardstick a little bit further um, for people who have experienced, you know, um, these issues. Whether it's in their education experience, whether you know it's dealing with our uh, court systems, you know, or mm-hmm. just everyday life, you know, where they feel that their life is is being threatened. 
um, not only from, you know, everyday average citizens, but also from, um, you know, law enforcement. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned your, your, you kind of, kind of stay back from the, the, the DC area. Um, what, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, civil justice reform and some of the tenets that speak to you in terms of, uh, their importance and, and, and a necessity to change. What do you think? So you look at the population of DC and how many police officers are in DC and the mass incarceration of predominantly black and brown communities for petty crimes, for things like possession of marijuana, which is decriminalized. Um, and when you have a system set up like that, it, I know I'm still struggling with people still denying that this, that this even exists, you know, they're like, no, you know, everybody, everybody is, is, is successful regardless of their color. It's what you want to do. And it's like, no, you're, you're failing to understand these systems set up and then how the criminal justice system fails these people when, you know, you have an incarcerated parent and then you have this family that's constantly trying to catch up financially or emotionally. And it's like, why can't we reimagine a, we know if you've ever watched 13th on Netflix, is it Ava or Ava? The producer is phenomenal. She's also just come out with when they see us absolutely incredible um it's like why can't we reimagine the way that that we build societies and then okay crime's gonna happen anywhere all the time you know how do you then deal with reducing recidivism rates how how do you move forward and instead of calling to the scene something that's a non-violent criminal instead of a cop with a gun and in a badge on to instill this fear and to to be trigger to trigger happy all the time standing there fearing for his life with with impunity to do whatever he wants instead why can't we train people to come there to to mediate the situation to de-escalate the situation from a point of caring about our community rather than this figure of, of fear and, and, and law and order, you know, it's like, it, it just seems to me this obvious vicious cycle mm. that it, it's so avoidable. It's like reallocate the, That's the, that's the pillar of defunding the police reallocate the money and the resources to people who can actually a invest invest it in education in youth and development programs in housing and jobs but then also like redirect the people that are being called to these situations and 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 when somebody has a stable home and a job the crime rate is is way lower you know it's like these are such obvious things to me and i think you know, like LA just did a people's budget hearing in, in city council that does a really good job of expressing this information. People are starting to really express the information. Um, it, it just seems, yeah, I'm, I'm late to the game as I think a, a lot of us are, but it just seems so frustratingly 
why can't we just do this? Right. And a big conversation that I've had um, with some colleagues of mine uh, on the Miss Radio podcast um, is this hard look at um, our governmental structures on a local level, right? You know, city councils. And I, I think that's a that's a big transformation where we're having these conversations where we're looking at our budgets. Like that's, that's, you know, we got to put our money where our mouth is, right? Um, in terms of this establishment of restorative justice, you know, not only for uh, the victim, but, but for the perpetrators themselves, right? Uh, and, and like this, we can focus on repairing um, breaches of, of violence, you know, breaches of, of, of people's rights, um, but not exacting retribution, right? I, I think these are lessons, like you said, are, are deeply stemmed into reimagining a society that, um, you know, we, we can, you know, at least at the very least try to attempt, right? Um, because the status quo of, of a violent, you know, police state (laughs) that's that's a move towards fascism if i ever heard of one right Mm -hmm. Uh, and and that's the funny thing i was i was talking to that same conservative friend uh, (laughs) uh, who is uh, it was hilarious actually because he was like oh i can't stand antifa i'm like wait a minute wait a minute do you know what that stands for and he was like (laughs) no i'm like all right, well, let's start there. That stands for anti-fascism. And he's like, he had just had this dumbfounded look. And I was like, do you know what fascism is? <laughs> and he's like, uh, no, what, what's fascism? I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> let me walk you through this. And we had this long conversation. And I I, I baited him. I, I felt bad, you know, but I baited him. I was like, hey, um, do you think that our country should be run by one party? And he's like, yeah, totally. The Republican party. I'm like, okay. Okay. Do you think we should have like a dominant figurehead to, to run the, you know, the show? He's like, yeah, we already got one, you know? And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, Do you think we should totally eliminate like the democratic party? He's like, man, you're talking my language. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, okay. So, this is what a fascist is. He's like, are you calling me a fascist? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, that's fine with me. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, I didn't even want to go into the history. Um, I was like, okay, well, we've got a long ways to go. <laughs> well, you bring up a good point. It's like, that's that's another thing. At least in public education in, in large parts of the U.S., the history we're taught is not reflective of what has really happened. And then we grow up and we go about our lives believing in this certain history. And then we go on perpetuating this ignorance and not having any idea what fascism is or what, you know, wars we even fought to try to prevent that. And then, you know, we're just, uh, (laughs) it's just like, it's this constant cycle. And how do we break free from it other than educating ourselves unlearning these things that we've we've been taught that our parents believe that their parents believe that you know that 
that continue to oppress an entire marginalized group of people. That that kind of reminds me of um, my brother wanted to get in touch with me and he wanted to really highlight uh, some books to read for his children and do like podcasts over it. I was like, okay, we can do that. And he mentioned Dostoevsky uh, and I couldn't help but think about the first novel that I read by him, which was uh, Notes from Underground. So I took a look back and I was just looking at the plot summary and it says, the narrator observes that utopian society removes suffering and pain. Um, And unlike most people who typically, wait a minute, no, that's not what it is. (laughs) <laughs> the main issue for the underground man is that he's reached a point of annui, just the state of boredom and inactivity. And he admits that he would rather be inactive out of laziness. All these things, right? And so he's he's going through like this state of like unhappiness, you know. Um, and he's fixated on his own existence. He's living, he has this obsession within his own consciousness and it's the whole um novel is just like a streamline of consciousness of him just jotting down his thoughts and it's very incoherent you know um and yet it covers theories of reason and logic right and how we can like perpetuate things that just aren't true right um in our own mind as a way of determining like this is our intellectual attempt to mm-hmm. rationalize you know that we're moving towards a utopian society, right? And that couldn't be further from the truth, right? That we're actually living in a dystopia. And this is the first, like, this is like a, the foundation of uh, of dystopian um, authorship was with Dostoevsky, and it would go on to influence a lot of other um, thinkers like, like Kafka and Nietzsche. But um, all that to say is that, like, you and I both know that like <laughs> this dystopian world that we're living in, you know, where we can choose to live in like a state of unhappiness or rationalizing our own comfort levels. Right. But like, uh, and, and move towards that utopian society of, you know, materialism and, you know, like totally ignoring, you know, um, systemic issues but like it's like mm, something's not right here right we're kind of conscientious of of these problems that are occurring um so that that brings me to this this point of thought where for you you know in this time of of um covid how does one further develop and build uh awareness outside of um you know, our four walls. (laughs) Yeah, you bring up a great point. It it really, I'm going to take us a little back for a second, and I apologize. Bring me back if you need to. Um, I just read Anna Merlin's Republic of Lies, which explores how American conspiracies really came to light. And that's kind of, this conversation has really made me think of that, because I think that's also we're in a product of like, especially with COVID, especially with Donald Trump being the president, people are in such a state of confusion. And especially in a very religious country, people can't handle the idea of 
not knowing of, of like something not having this predetermined um ending like everything has to have a reason and you know this is all god's will or something and and i think that really leads to these dangerous conspiracy theories of this uh, i just encourage you to read it it goes from antifa to to the pizzagate conspiracy to QAnon to just like in try in, in avoiding what is real what is our reality we are creating these ideas that make it so much easier to to say okay yeah this is the person responsible and therefore shun the democratic party and and, and only vote this and do that and, and then everything will be solved and that's just like a really dangerous and and lazy way out of addressing what's at stake how we can improve it you know um Bring me back. What was your original question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to bring you back, um, it's just the question of how how can we act socially, conscientiously outside our own four walls during this this period of time? Um, and so, it's a difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know the answer to that. I can share what I've tried to do, and who knows if I'm like teetering on the edge myself but <laughs> i'm just yeah. trying to listen i'm trying to, i'm trying to read and i'm trying to to listen to 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 women of color to people of color to indigenous people to to just like a global community just listen and, and you know you can, you're never going to know enough but you just have to try to find the clarity you know we, we don't have any critical thinking anymore. We have to, 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 to just try to listen to as much as we can and then go from there and reason like, can I, can I show up to protest? Can I put my money somewhere? Can I, can I be a part of this conversation? Can I liberate voices and, and art? And can I, can I, you know, what, what is important to you is, you know, can, can I just, focus my energy in something that I think will make the world a better place. And that's not just harboring these ill feelings about a particular party. That's actual action, you know, that's, and that's, that's a huge call. And that's, I do think we're in a unique time that people aren't just going to bars and clubs and, and watching sports and people are forced to sit with themselves. And, and unfortunately for a lot of people, it, it's not, it's really scary and they, they don't know when they're going to eat and they don't have jobs. And that's like a whole nother conversation of dealing with that. But I, I do, I do think oh, this is really a unique and important time to reimagine how we can thrive as a society. And it comes from listening to each other. Like that's such a, it seems maybe too, too, too small, but, it's a very difficult thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's very underestimated, the ability to listen, right? Um, and have this listening mind. Consequentially, this book, the How Can I Help book, has a chapter on the listening mind. Mm. And it kind of explores, you know, this um, 
<laughs> you ever go on a phone call with someone and they're talking and they're talking and they're talking and then all of a sudden you're just like, ah, oh, yes, yes, you were saying, um, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, you just jump in. Um, we're, I think we're all guilty of it, right? Un- unless you're like, I could see you being actually a really great listener. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you tune out occasionally, but um, but that's the thing, right? Is that like the the product of consistently tuning out, right? And then one day you wake up and you're just like, wait a minute, <laughs> what's how did this, this is interesting, but how did we get here? You know. Mm-hmm. And that's like, like you said, it's part of this, this active search, um, not only externally to read and listen to others, uh, thoughts and, and, you know, daily musings of what they're going through, um, and you know, how can we, um, work with that? But then there's this deeper meaning that's happening internally where we're trying to, discover how can we you know because I, I think this is also a period of time where like you said people aren't used to you know working from home or being alone with their thoughts right there's so many we're, we're so we're so used to like you know um distracting ourselves right mm-hmm. um and so coming to this place of oh man i have to deal with myself <laughs> you know like what do i where do I take that? Um, and it, it calls out for like um, trying to quiet the mind, trying to find this intuitive understanding to, and and how that lends itself to listening, right? Because if I'm busy thinking about what you're saying, you know, um, and trying to come up and craft the response, am I really listening, you know? Yeah. Am I really gauging with what, what it is that you're trying to express? Um, and I think to, to bring it, to bring it back real quick, like what we were originally, like, irrit, irrit. About... go ahead. <laughs> no, I just, I did like a little DJ, like, irrit, irrit. Okay, okay. <laughs> and, and you know, what you proposed, we talk about of like the DC protest. It's like, there's a lot of narrative of, Oh, these, these, rioters and leaders and i do not condone right but if anyone's listening to what they're asking for what they're saying they're literally saying stop killing us let us have a chance at the same american dream as you you know it's like if you're if you're actually listening instead of just um, if you don't like America, get out. And it's like, you're not even paying attention to your fellow Americans, you know? So that's a huge point. Um, right. As opposed to just, you know, and this is something that like kind of irked me was like, you would see those protests and then like, you know, they paint the streets, Black Lives Matter. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, mm, that's not what we're, I don't think that's what they're saying. That's not what they're asking for. We can paint the whole town, you know, however, but. I saw uh, an interesting analogy of it's like taking your car into a auto shop and the engine's broken and then they paint the whole thing and they vacuum the inside and they're like, hey, here you go. And you're like, great, I can't wait to drive it. And they're like, oh, no, no, we just painted it. Um, it, it doesn't work. 
And I think that's a great analogy of like, oh yeah, we've we've changed the street name and we we painted it, so everything's good now, right? And you're like, absolutely not. We have to fix the core of it, the root of it, and that's gonna take time for sure. But we must acknowledge it right. and be willing to to work toward it. And ultimately, I mean, seriously, we are only as strong as our most vulnerable. And if we continue to oppress and keep people this vulnerable, who, who in their right mind, you know, I think that's one way, trying to get people to listen on a fundamental level where they completely disagree with everything you believe in. It's like, this is for you too, homie. It's not just, you know, you can believe whatever you want, but especially I'm gonna, go leave somewhere like if we're going to adapt to climate change we need everybody's voices and help we can't continue to oppress people and and hope to get out of this like we we need everyone working together we need a let's move forward let's 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 build stronger let's yeah i was just talking about the sustainable housing project that um some of your colleagues had put together on on uh, the peninsula in monterey and it was basically to build 100% affordable housing, all electric appliances, and um, net zero emissions using water reclamation systems. It was pretty phenomenal. And then, very cool. Um, at the very end, um, Lawrence and um, they were all they were all kind of mentioning that you know environmental work is social work. Like the two are so interrelated, right? In terms of building our communities in, in, in a more representative way that can give people an opportunity to, to live a, a good, clean, healthy life, right? And, um, and how we can approach that, not only for, for new development sites, but like retroactively, you know, change, you know, um, are, are historically disenfranchised uh, neighborhoods as well, right? And that conversation to me was very exciting, very hopeful. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's this two-pronged thing that I see that like offers hope, right? Is that one is having these, these conversations, sharing these conversations with, like you said, like our, our weakest link, you know, our, our vulnerable populations and the people who are going to vehemently disagree with us, you know, but at the same time need to hear this. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that's in like the short term, um, long term in my mind, I, I envision, you know, the, the policy structures that need to change the, to, to create um, more community as opposed to less, or as opposed to more divisiveness. Right. Um, and I think that's that's kind of where I'm standing currently in terms of okay, what what can we do? You know, how can we look at restructuring the budget for a city? Um, you know, to make that possible. Um, what are, what are some of the things that that you see that are uh, in the immediate grasp of of each individual to take a look at? Individually or on a policy level? We'll start from you and I, individually. Yeah. So, 
I think I've touched on it a bit, but I think it's, we have a lot of, we have a lot of re-educating ourselves to do. Um, and I, I mean, we, we have to put pressure on our local government for sure. You know, mm. in today's technology is fantastic. There's these constant immediate email generators and it will, you can just click a button and it will call your Senator and that stuff is really powerful. It is important. And that's like a huge ask of a lot of BLM leaders and organizers in the DC area is like you with your white privilege, whether, you know, I'm talking to you or a larger audience, but these can, these people care about you. So use your voice, use your privilege and affect change, you know, and, it's sometimes daunting. It's scary. And I also can understand not feeling like your voice is heard, but if anybody's going to get through, you have to use that and you have to contact these people and you have to keep contacting them and you have to let them know that you support this broader community and that you, that you want to see these policies affect people in a positive way. And, And you can be specific and you can say, you know, let's get more body cams on police officers, but also like your policy review board isn't enough because who's on that board? Is it the same police officers that are abusing their power? You know, let's also talk about ending qualified immunity. And I think this, that's probably an even longer conversation, but those are a few things that, I mean, the reallocation of funds is, is also, I mean, if if we can sit down and, and break it down into the different, things you want to see it go into food security mental health and wellness public transportation even parks you know child and youth development programs it's like if if we can show you this 320 million dollar budget that that you're using to militarize police can can we reallocate it to these specific things you know police forces that often live in suburbs outside of the communities they're even there to protect and serve i think when you present this at a local level it, it does have power. I think when you when you get specific and you demand it and, and you keep talking about it, mm. you know, um, I think I read, so you want to talk about race. And she mentions she went to some hearing with her son and they, they were asking the, the council for something. And her son was a little boy and had his sign like, you know, Black Lives Matter and they lost. And, and he felt so defeated. And, and she's like, you can't stop after one no. And that's true of everything in life. You know, you have to keep fighting and eventually, eventually they're going to hear it. You know, you, you can't give up. And I think that's a huge lesson for people who have been involved in civil rights movements in, in, in rights for immigrants and, and just lifting up marginalized communities. I've been involved in this in a long time and to those that are just getting involved. It's like, this is, a lifelong fight um and you just have to find the you have to find the balance in your own life of the things you want to do and then realize there's no going back to normal especially after covid and especially as we have we have to reimagine our society we simply have to and it's like connecting with like-minded people but also educating those that don't think like you um it's a pretty good start. <laughs> That's a very good start. Um, yeah, and 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 it reminds me of of something that um, you know those are those are all valid points and 
in examining own, our own mind, right, on an individual basis. Um, but then also taking a look at um, how we can find a balance, right? Because one thing I think, as as graduate students, we face um, numerous on numerous occasions is this feeling of burnout, right? So you don't want to <laughs> burn the candle on both ends, but like really know that um, it's a marathon, not a sprint, you know, when, when, Mm -hmm. and that, that's a, I love that about, um, you know, not stopping at the first no, right. Um, Is because there, there are going to be uncomfortable situations where, you know, someone tells you no, or, or, you know, and that's just, that's just the beginning, right. You know, um, so like continuing pressing on, um, for 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 people who are living on the margins because if anything understanding people who who do live on the margins of any society we know that that's that is what they experience on a daily basis so they're they're my mom was telling me about this story about um this young black woman who grew up at a time where she remembers going to school um in the segregated south and like you, it was it was a small town, right? And so she could kind of peer through the other side of the building, um, uh, where you know her white counterparts were going to class, and it just looked a little bit better. You know, the, the area was cleaner. And then they would go out for uh, lunch, and she would notice the the difference in food. You know, they just had like a plain sandwich, uh, bologna sandwich, and their counterparts on the other side of the school, you know, she could see that they had like fruit and vegetables and, you know, so, you know, even the nutrition was different. Um, and then, you know, when she got older, um, when she'd go to the movie theaters with their friends, you know, um, they were relegated to a particular part of the movie theater and it was really stuffy and crowded and there was no AC. And um, she would peek down and see, her other counterparts, um, you know, lounging, you know, they got AC down there, they're eating the popcorn. And it's just like, it's this surreal experience as, as someone of color to live in the United States and to be treated radically different, right? Such a surreal experience because you think you're like, wait a minute, I'm not different from them, you know? But then everyone else is telling me I am different from them, you know. Um, and so coming from that and moving forward, it, it is like a lifelong struggle because for people of color till, till, you know, till the day they die, you know, it'll be a lifetime struggle, you know, to, to consistently, you know, be on the offense um, you know, for, for a better life, better quality of life, um, which is, you know, re, re, reimagining that, reshifting that, you know, like you said, it's, you have to be in it for the long haul. So for the long haul, I know you mentioned qualified immunity and, and, and then also changes on a societal level. Um, what were some of the things that you took away from I know you had mentioned Ezra Klein and imagining the the nonviolent state. What what does a nonviolent state look to look like to you? 
Well, I think that it's more like um, the concept of nonviolence, especially in, in times of protest, to my understanding, you know, like not simply the absence of violence. Right. Um, and that, that, you know, reading this, and we've talked about this, it just like brought up so many feelings for me because it requires so much strength. And, and it's like, and resiliency that, that black and brown people have shown throughout history, you know, that it's like, I mean, like I said, I really, I really think in, until we dismantle our idea of like who the police serve and protect and, and until we recognize these systems, you know, that are keeping these communities oppressed, like housing discrimination and and credit availability, like until we recognize them and are willing to change them, you know, that's like that, like behind the scenes sort of action. That's like, you need the people in the streets drawing attention, disrupting 4th of July um, fireworks, you know, to like, to state their presence. And then you need like the people dismantling these, these things in place. Um, and I think that's part of the nonviolence. It's like, you don't have to go smash every window of the building you see, but it, it's an interesting concept of like believing in, in these people, the same thing you see in yourselves, like the capacity for growth, self-correction and change, which is like a, a very empathetic point of view that I would like to believe everybody has the ability to have. And what's preventing them from holding it, I'm not entirely sure. Mm. Yeah. yeah. One one thing that I, I really love in terms of um, the principles of nonviolence is uh, taking a look at, like, what what Dr. King's philosophy of, of, of how, how can we strive towards that, you know? Um, and what, is, what does that mean in terms of, you know, the end result of uh, of a non-violent approach is like the sense of redemption and reconciliation and it's to create like community right mm-hmm. and deeply embedded i think in creating a community is it's like going to a farmer's market right you know and like um you see all these people from all different walks of life you people you see the farmers interacting with the lay people of different, you know, sectors, they could be bankers, they could be the people making your coffee or, you know, graduate students, you know, just coming out of class. And they go down in the farmer's market and you see smiles all around, you see commerce, you know, transacting. And, you know, the benefit of our labor is, is the fruit of our labor and it's being presented right in front of us, you know, and there's no problem, right? Like there's this, um, you know, Alan Watts. Yeah. He made this distinct um, sentence structure that I I couldn't get out of my head for for like weeks, but it's it's this idea of um, okay, so you're looking for peace of mind, right? And so if you're looking for peace of mind, what does that imply? And he he paused and he's like, it it means that you have a disturbed mind right 
there's something not right. Um, and what does it mean to be right? You know, and it's this vicious cycle that goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. And so what it's basically denoting is that like, once you have peace of mind, you won't even know that you're disturbed. You'll just have this, this sense of equanimity within yourself. Right. And it isn't until, you know, black and brown people feel that within themselves, comfortable to be part of our community together uh, with, with other people around them, um, you know, that, that that mission will finally be accomplished, right? Um, and for so long, I thought, I think that's, that's part of the re-education process, right? Is that I think we thought... Um, and I say we, I, I mean for myself, um, that civil rights was something that, you know, was done in the 60s mm-hmm. and, you know, we're good. Um, and a lot of people do think that, right? Like, we've mm-hmm. had a black president now, so, you know, check, you know, we check the boxes, but um, life is bigger than just checking the boxes, right? Um, so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. I think, you know, that just sums up, like, there's always more work to be done. And it doesn't have to burn you out. It just, it has to, it has to be a part of, it has to be a part of your, your moral compass. And, you know, that's like a whole nother conversation of like, people don't run on any morals or ethics. Or, I don't know, there's, there's ways to get to them as well. But I think for think speaking to you it's like that's just what makes sense to me it's like knowing that the betterment of society is it's creating a community where everybody feels safe you know and has a chance at living this life you know free from oppression and with the same opportunities that a white person has Mm. so I don't know. You just kind of try to make the spaces smaller for people who, who don't want that, you know, you, you, that's like in the workplace, you diversity inclusion is going to be like, you know, it should have always been a focus and now companies are hopefully going to really pay attention. How do you actually make people feel welcome and enjoy their place of work? Mm. You have to make it smaller for the people that, that reign in their power of, superiority over others right and that comes from you know thinking outside of yourself right because if it's always me 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 then i think we'll never we'll never get there (laughs) you know i I, a lot of the the conversations i'll have with my conservative friends is that their their aim and their goal is to protect what they have you know And, Mm -hmm. and and that's a way of life that i think you know um is what we would like to see die away with, you know, that type of mentality where, oh, we need to protect, you know, our constitutional values. And what, what, what does that mean? You know, like, let's take a look at those, you know, let's revisit that. Um, because history is constantly changing. And um, I think you want to be on the right side of history. You want to be on the side where, you know, you didn't keep walking, but you, you looked to the side and you looked at that person that was oppressed and you saw them as you saw yourself. 
and you saw how vulnerable the human condition really is. And um, you reached out to that person. And that's all, you know, <laughs> that's all. Um, uh, but yeah, that's just, that's just like my opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for sharing it. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing your opinion as well. I, I mean, we've, we've touched the, on a lot of um, really close issues close to, I know both of our hearts and, and minds and, it's something where it really is more of a narrative than, than anything. Um, we can dive into statistics and, you know, legal analysis, but like at the end of the day, um, the rigorous work also, also begins within the heart as well. Um, so feel free to share this with all your uh, colleagues. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me on this. As always, it's a, Absolute pleasure talking with you. Likewise, likewise. Thank you for listening to another episode of Miss Radio Podcast. And a big thank you to Miss Howerton for joining us for this episode. I want to dedicate this episode to Representative John Lewis, who passed away this past Friday at 80 years old. He was a true American hero who devoted his life to racial justice and equality. He had had decades of work as an organizer and activist, crossing the streets of Selma, organizing the March on Washington with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., serving in the Atlanta City Council and serving as a representative for over three decades. Before you go, I would love to leave you with this podcast in a positive light uh, with a little quote. It goes like this. You are a light. You are the light. Never let anyone, any person, or any force dampen, dim, or diminish your light. Study the path of others to make your way easier and more abundant. Thank you, and I hope this finds you well. Take care. I guess I'll I'll cut the podcast right here, and um, now we're in the behind the scenes, so welcome. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was good. You did a really great, great job. You know, normally, normally, Lauren, I actually prepare questions and for this one I was like, you know, let's just go off the cuff and see where where that takes us. See, I appreciate that cuz I I'm not much of like a I can't formulate my thoughts verbally as well as I can write them. Mm. So so I appreciate I almost think if the if you had the questions I would feel constrained and my mind wanders as you can observe. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's that's <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there's this thing that um, it's called like a flow state, you know, mm. and it's where you could be doing anything, right? You could be washing dishes, you could be gardening, you can be in a protest and, you, you, you know, you, you realize you lose track of time and like three hours or four hours passes and you're like, oh, wow. 
And all throughout that time, you, you were just flowing, you know, you were just going along with it. There's no agitation of mind. Um, but that's when you're really, you're really in it. You're really with it. You're like riding mm-hmm. a wave. You're really mastering uh, your thought process. And if you can do that in a podcast, um, then mission accomplished. So that's good. <laughs> well, I hope any of it was coherent. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, you know, I, the, the more artful the conversation uh, as opposed to robotic, right? Uh, the better. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, I like it wavy. <laughs> I prefer it that way. <laughs> well, thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, of course. Um, so what I'll go ahead and do now is just go back um, probably over this weekend and make some edits, um, include some outtakes, um, and then, yeah, I'll publish this bad boy by next week, hopefully. Awesome. Well, sweet. Well, hope you have a nice day, and um, we'll definitely be in touch. Yeah? Well, thanks, Angelo. For sure. Peace, peace. Bye.